Hello and welcome to The Story, a podcast where great stories are shared. Do you have a love for writing or listening to stories? Do you aspire to be a best-selling author? Or have you put your heart and soul into creating a story that you really wanted to have published only to have it rejected? Well, I completely understand you. I have self-published my own novel and want to share it with you all. I believe that good stories need to be shared and that every writer who has created a good story should be allowed the opportunity to share it with the world. Hence this podcast. If you want to listen to a good story or if you want your story shared, you have come to the right place. You're with Julie, a self-published author of Rise of the Assault, The Beginning, which you can check out on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, and I will be your host. Hello, a big welcome back. I hope you're all well today and ready to listen to another episode and chapter from Rise of the Saw, The Beginning. We have only three chapters left after this one today, so not long to go. I just want to share with you that I find when I write, it becomes like a meditation, a therapy almost, and definitely a soul cleansing. I can understand and relate to how and why writers need to lock themselves away. To be left alone as they use words to fabricate and piece together a story that hopefully will entertain interest and make the reader pause and reflect. Let me know what motivates you to write. Are you a writer that needs peace and quiet or do you need music or perhaps an alcoholic beverage? I think creatives are different in what lights them up. And as Einstein once said, Imagination is more powerful than knowledge. Think about that. Okay, so let's do a quick recap of chapter 11, which I've titled Edith. In this chapter, we hear about the seer advising Merrick to gather an army, while he, Ada and Anja are to mind travel to find out more about the Asaur. Merrick is both surprised and angry when he finds out that Ulrich, Freya and Katja are to stalk the adversary. Merrick feels his whole family has been picked by the gods and has been placed in an even more dangerous situation. Eleanor and the seer attempt placating. Eleanor starts to feel unwell and wonders about her mystery illness. We are introduced to a new, new character, Edith. When Brook asks Eleanor to accompany him on helping the community's most vulnerable, Edith is small and feisty and has borne the brunt of a saw's cruelty, with both sons and a husband taken by them. She is a survivor, however, and is caring for seven of her remaining children on her own. She also struggles with a heart condition. Edith is frosty towards Eleanor when they meet. A tension hangs between them. The suspense and drama are building. Will Merrick gather an army large enough to take down the Asaur? And what is making Eleanor sick? Do Edith and Eleanor become friends? There is so much happening, and I can't wait to start episode 12, Inferno. Get yourself comfortable and enjoy.
Merrick and Floma made it to the next village before the sun had fully set. They'd run the horses hard and when they were greeted by the village elder, they asked for them to be stabled and fed. Merrick had decided for them to take two horses each, alternating each one. They were the fastest and fittest horses in the town, but Merrick knew they had their limits. He was not a cruel man and took great care of the things that served him. He would spend the night at the village sharing a meal with the people while relaying to them the plan to build an army. This would also allow them to rest and dispel the horses. When the elder heard of the fate that may be bestowed upon them, he instantly went into action. Eigenbrook was well known and a man to be trusted, so when his son came to tell them what was coming, he was only too happy to oblige. Many of the young men volunteered with Merrick, taking them all. He instructed them to ride to his village. His own men that had been part of the protectors would train them. The protectors were something of a legend, and now to be asked to join them left many men scrambling, eager for battle and valour. Merrick was happy with their first recruitment, and counted at least 30 men that would be leaving as soon as they could to ride to his village. However, he knew that this would not be enough. They needed so much more and had so little time to do it in. He and Flamer were up the next day at the crack of dawn, thanking the elder who had come to see them leave. He too was concerned, concerned for the fate of humanity. I have dreamt of such a prophecy. We are teetering on the edge of a new era, one that will change the course of time, he said to Merrick and Flamer. Merrick mounted his stallion before replying. Find a place where you can hide your people and make preparations. Now, is, now time is not on our side, as you well know. I wish you all the best, and thank you for all you have done for us. The two brothers rode in silence, eager to get to the next town before sunset. Merrick had estimated he could ride to six of the villages that were closest to his own hometown within two weeks but he felt this was still too long a time frame. As the day wore on, Merrick grew more concerned, and his sense of urgency was beginning to manifest. It bothered him they could not travel quicker, but there was nothing he could do to change it. He remembered the mind travel with the seer, and what had happened to the woman that had been captured, followed by what had happened to Ashton. He repressed a shudder. What had happened to their village when they had left? He tried to change his thoughts and think about something else, but it was to no avail. He felt a stab of guilt at leaving them behind. He had assigned their fate. It was like leaving lambs to the wolves. Merrick coughed and cleared his throat, forcing himself to talk about a different topic. I reckon we'll be there by evening. This is a good road, he said as much to himself as to his brother. Flamer nodded in agreement. He had barely said anything since they'd left. Much to Merrick's disappointment, he wanted to get to know the brother he'd never met. He was a little cocky, but Merrick put that down to being a youth. He would learn to tame his ego in time to come. He only wished times were different and they could have spent more time doing less stressful things. His mind wandered back to the village where Eleanor had grown up in. The people were hard-working and kind. They took in strangers and were always willing to help. Ashton had been one of those men, he was much respected with his services being in high demand due to the quality of work he produced and the fairness of what he charged. He had a wife and four sons. What had happened to them? Merrick mused. No doubt they were probably all dead. 
at least they would be out of any misery. He had known the Asaur would come, felt it long before it had arrived. The day in the forest cutting wood for the fire and to make furniture, he remembered like it, it like it was yesterday, and now he sensed the same foreboding, the same sickening sense of dread. He kicked his horse into a canter. No, much, no matter how much Merrick tried to run, he knew they were closing in, and time was ticking. The next village were not as convinced as the first in helping make an army, wanting more information and questioning why Eigenbrook had not come himself. It was unlike him not to be there with such an important matter. They had not heard of the news of the Assault grouping to finally take humanity in one fatal swoop. Merrick argued with the village chief. His patience was already thin, but to have to beg and justify why they needed to prepare for war almost pushed him to the brink. If all the villages were going to be like this, it would take more than a month of negotiations. And even then, there'd be no guarantee they would have even a fraction of the manpower they would need. They left the village before dawn, had graced the sky, with the promise of only ten men who reluctantly volunteered to ride to Eigenbrook's village in the next few days. Merrick was sceptical. They would, e they would even go. He had no idea on what to do or how to recruit the ones that were not committed or even believed in what they were trying to achieve. Brother, don't look so down. We still have five more villages to go, Flamer smirked. Merrick's temper flared. He, he fleetingly felt like hitting his brother for being so insolent, but he restrained himself. You have no idea what we are up against, and I so feel sorry for your lack of clarity in this matter. But believe me when I say that when the time has come, you'll be fighting for your life and wishing that you had done more to prevent the horrors yet come. Merrick glared at him, his anger smouldering. Flamer nodded, not sure on how to respond. It was the first time he had seen Merrick lose his temper. It would be best that he not lock it. They rode in silence until hunger got the better of Merrick. He motioned they stop near a rocky outcrop where they could light a fire and have some tea. It would be good to rest for a bit. It might cheer his mood. Flamer offered to look for some timber while Merrick unpacked the tea and dried fruit from his saddlebag. It was not long before they were sipping a hot beverage and eating the remains of the dried fruit. Sorry for before, Flamer said as he looked at Merrick. Merrick merely nodded. He didn't feel like talking. Instead of the rest cheering him, a black mood had descended and he had not been able to shake it since his outburst. We'll leave in five. Stamp out the fire. Make sure there's nothing to tell that we have been here, he instructed Flamer after a short while. His brother watched as Merrick began saddling his spare horse. The more time he spent with him, the more annoyed he had become. He is no leader, and not much of a warrior, he thought angrily. He saw none of the things that his father and sister had raved about. He may have been something when he was younger, but Flamer was sure that was all gone, left behind in a bygone era. The smell of smoke drifted into the room. Eleanor woke disorientated and unsure of where she was. She sat up, waiting for the last bit of sleep to clear. She rubbed her eyes and sniffed the air to make sure she wasn't still reliving the remains of a dream. The air still had a faint smell of smoke, so she hadn't been dreaming. It was real. She left the warm covers of the bed to pull back the curtain that framed the window of her room. 
Peering out, she could make out a faint glow of orange in the distance. Rubbing her eyes again, she blinked, looking closer. The orange light was still there. She knew she wasn't dreaming, but she also couldn't comprehend what she was seeing. She knew she'd gone to bed in the afternoon, and now it was pitch black, so she must have been asleep for a while. She looked again to be sure that it hadn't disappeared. It was still there. Slowly it dawned on her that the fire must be coming from the forest. Her thoughts raced. It must be the majestic forest that flanked the mountains on either side of the village. It was a sacred place that the people in the community worshipped and the sight of the fire could only beg one question. Who could have set the forest alight? She recoiled as the answer became devastatingly clear. It was the Asaur. They were coming, burning everything in their path to flush out humans, seeking their revenge and their goal of conquering the world. Her heart began to race. I have to warn Eigenbrook, tell him to prepare, but how? There was not enough of them and Merrick had only just left. She sank on the edge of the bed, trying to stifle the panic that threatened to overwhelm her. Think, Eleanor, she said out loud. First, I have to go and tell Sabin. He would know what to do. He always does. She raced into his room, not bothering to knock, calling out his name. Sabin, Sabin. He was not in his bed. She stood, not sure on what to do. Where was he? He'd slept for a long time, so no doubt he would not have gone to bed early. So where would he go? She was completely at a loss on what to do. She went to light a candle and swept the house. Maybe he'd passed out somewhere else. It was not unlike him. Sabin sipped the sweet tea, its mood-altering effects flooding his veins, and he instantly felt relaxed. Like Merrick, he enjoyed having the special brew, and he especially enjoyed it after a night drinking ale. He was worried about his friend and all the people he had met. They'd become like family. He also could not get the images out of his mind of the woman tied to the post and being whipped by that hideous monster. He shook his head to clear his thoughts and cursed himself for letting it spoil his mood. The time alone enjoying his tea should not be interfered with horrible thoughts. It was a time to think and problem solve to be creative and to dream of the future. The future, however, seemed doomed and not at all promising. Sabin stood, stretching. He tapped his cup, shaking at the rem remnants of the leftover tea, of the leftover tea leaves. He decided to go for a walk. It might help him think of more optimistic thoughts and put him in a better mood. He headed towards the heart of the town where the marketplace was a throbbing mixture of stalls, offering the sale of fresh fruit and vegetables, clothing, spices, and a range of services and trinkets. The sun had reached the middle part of the sky as he pursued the market. People were busy trying to negotiate a good bargain, and the smell of tea and spices hung in the air. He strode towards the tea stall, curious to, to what flavours they may have. It would make a nice gift for Eleanor and may help cheer her up. She'd not seemed herself lately. As Sabin picked out an assortment of tea, he heard laughter not far from the stall. Thanking the storekeeper, he wandered over to where he thought it was coming from. 
a group of men were gathered round, cheering and jostling as they pointed to the middle of the circle. Two men were eyeing each other as they paced around the inner circle of men. Aye, what are they up to? Saban asked a young man that was standing close to him. They're wrestling, he replied. Bet on the man in green, he's always a winner, hasn't lost a fight yet. The newcomer has no chance, the man advised Saban. Saban watched for a while before growing bored. He turned and started to leave. As he did, he bumped into a woman who was rushing past. The basket she'd been carrying fell from her grasp, spilling the bag of flour that was in it. She glared at Saban. Why don't you watch where you're going, you idiot? She screamed at him. Now how am I supposed to be able to afford a new bag of flour, hey? Her dark hair had come loose from the bun that was pulled up high on her head. Her face was flush red with anger. She spent, bent down trying to scoop up what she could. Aye, I'm awful sorry. Please, I'll buy you another one. Saban bent down, looking at her sheepishly. I am awful clumsy, I. Come on now. He held out his hand to help lift her up. I don't want your help, but I will take you buy me another bag of this old flour, because you were the one that made me drop it. She stood looking at Saban, her face set in a hard look, her lips forming a tight line. Saban chuckled. He knew it would probably infuriate her more, but he couldn't help it. She had flour smeared on one cheek where she had wiped her face, and somehow flour had landed in her hair. His chuckle became a giggle until Saban could not contain himself. He burst into laughter. She stood, arms folded, a scowl on her face. Saban pointed to her hair and burst into another fit of laughter. Just what the dickens are you laughing at? She touched her hair before looking at her fingers that were now covered in white. At first she felt the urge to slap him for being so insensitive, even though he had offered to buy her another bag of flour. Instead, she felt the sudden impulse to laugh. It had been so long since she had laughed, truly laughed. As much as she tried to suppress it, she could feel it starting from the depths of her belly, bubbling before rising up, and then she too joined Saban. It was not long before both of them were bending over in fits of hysteria. Saban reached to grab a handful of the flour and threw it at her. She stopped, dumbfounded in a moment of shock, before she too grabbed a handful of the white powder, throwing it hard at Saban. The two of them threw handful after handful of flour at each other, while passers-by steered clear of the couple that seemed to have gone mad. It was not long before they both collapsed, weak from laughter, wiping the tears from their eyes and dusting the flour from their clothes. Aye, me name is Sabin. How about I buy you that bag of flour? Sabin held out his hand. The woman shook it firmly. Deal, she told him. Saban helped her to her feet, and they walked to the store she had just come from. Saban bought her two bags of flour. She smiled. Now how do you propose I carry this home? Well, Saban returned a smile, I guess I'll have to assist you with this. She shook her head. A fine dust of flour sprayed them, and they both started to giggle. I suppose since you have made me drop my bag of flour, covered me in it, Made me late for getting home to me young'uns. I guess the least you could do is buy me another bag and help me carry it home. 
She turned to him. Her big brown eyes glistened with tears of laughter as she waited for Saban's response. Aye, I guess I best do that then, he told her as he lifted one of the bags onto his shoulder. She was a small woman and feisty, but Saban felt an immense attraction to her, a feeling of admiration for a woman who seemed to have so much courage. They walked in silence for a while, heading towards the back of the village. As they turned into her street, she startled him by saying, I have a few kids and I don't usually bring home strange men. Saban chuckled. Well, that sort of doesn't surprise me. You don't seem the type to do that. She smiled. I have children. Aye, you just told me that. Do you have a husband that I need to worry about? I mean, like you said, strange men carrying home flour for ye. This time it was her turn to laugh. No, I don't have a husband. Aye, and why is that? Such a pretty woman like yourself. She grew quiet before stopping. They were almost at her home. Did I say something wrong? Saban asked, perplexed. She shook her head. No. Well, come on then. It's best we get this stuff inside because me shoulder is kind of getting sore. Saban stood waiting for her to answer. She looked at the house and then looked back at him. It's best you don't come in. Help me. Just carry it home and you can go. She turned as if trying to walk away from him and place some distance between them. Saban followed, not sure what to say. She was confusing to say the least, but he could not help the urge to get to know her more. She intrigued him. Saban placed the two bags on the big kitchen table. The children were outside playing. She could see them, he could see them through the kitchen window as they chased one another. He stood awkwardly, praying she had changed her mind and instead invite him to stay for tea. She cleared her throat. You need to leave, she told him quietly. Saber nodded, searching for something to say, anything to help her make her change her mind. You didn't tell me your name, he finally asked her. Doesn't matter, she murmured. Why is that? he asked, before he could stop himself. He knew he sounded rude. At that moment, a small child burst into the room. I'm hungry, Mama, he shouted, before abruptly stopping to stare at Saban. Three more children followed, the eldest girl trailing in last. She also stopped to gape at the strange man who stood in the middle of their kitchen. Silence hung awkwardly in the room. Well, look, here, some young'uns, Saban chuckled. He pulled a chair and sat down. Come and tell me all about yourselves. My name is Saban. I'm a friend of your mama. Saban, as usual, was always able to break the tension. The little boy ran to him. Saban picked the child up and placed him on his knee. Well, that's a good start now. What's your name? Chad, the boy promptly said. The rest of the children visibly relaxed at Chad's reaction, coming a little closer to the man who had their brother on their lap, on his lap. Why don't you stay? It was a girl around the age of ten. She quickly looked at her mother, realising she had spoken before thinking. Saban was just about to leave, Charlotte, the woman said firmly. The children's faces fell, obviously devastated that their mother was not going to ask this kind man to stay. Well, Saban began, I was about to leave, but I needed to know what your mother's name is. You see, we just met at the market, Saban explained to the children. Her name is Edith. The eldest girl said. Sabert frowned. He'd heard that name earlier. And then he suddenly remembered. 
Eleanor. She told him that morning Eigenbrook had taken her this morning to this very house. Eleanor had not liked Edith much, and by the sound of it the feeling had been mutual. He realised everything she told her, him about her was correct. Correct. She was feisty and brave, with a kick-ass attitude. At the last thought he chuckled to himself. Edith threw him a scornful look. Nice to meet you, Edith, and of course all you wee little ones, he chuckled again. You should stay, Charlotte blurted. Please, the children all said at once. Okay, that is enough. Sabin has to leave and we have jobs to do, Edith said angrily. No, mother, we do not have jobs to do. We have done them. We never see anyone. Please, Sabin is nice and you never, never have anyone over. Just this once, please, Charlotte begged her mother. Edith looked at each of her children, with Chad lastly sitting happily on Sabin's lap. She knew her children were right. They were hungry for company. They had moved on and she could not blame them. But she still had not. Chad was only a baby when her husband had set off, looking for their sons who the Asaw had taken. Axel had barely been in Chad's life, only returning for brief periods of time, in between his constant search for their lost boys. It was even worse for Rosie, who was two young, years younger than a brother, the youngest child. Chad and Rosie had never known what it was like to have a father. Instead, they were being raised by their mother and older siblings. Their oldest brother was distant and aloof and rarely interacted with them, only occasionally, occasionally joining them for dinner. She felt sick as she thought of Axel. She'd loved him so much. He had been her world. Now a man she had just met was sitting in a kitchen with her children, begging her for him to stay. Deep down she knew they were right, and she did want him to stay. He was funny, kind and polite. It'd be nice to have another adult to talk to, she thought. I'll only be staying for a meal, Edith, Sabin broke her thoughts. She looked at him. You don't have to feel guilty, it is just food we are sharing, Sabin continued. She looked at them again, slowly nodding her consent. The children squealed in delight. It was rare their mother ever gave in to their requests. Sabin laughed, and it was not long before the children joined in. Eleanor desperately searched the house, but Sabin was nowhere to be found. He was simply not there. Her mind raced. Where could he be? She had no clue. It was like he had vanished. He must have went out somewhere and made friends with someone. That was not unlike him at all. Sabin was a happy-go-lucky type of guy and easily made friends, which meant he could be anywhere. With this realisation, her heart sunk. She walked to the front door, opening it before going to stand on the front porch. She looked down the road. The orange flames cast a bright hue in the distance. She turned her gaze away from it, determined now to find her friend. She could search the taverns, but they were probably closed. She took a deep breath. Think, she commanded herself, but her mind was at a loss. She would have to find Eigenbrook. He was the only other person she really knew. Of course, there were the remnants of Merrick's force, the protectors, but she barely knew them. She chewed her lip, undecided on what she should do. As she looked down the street, she noticed how quiet the town was. There was no, not a soul out. No candles were burning. 
No, no one walked the streets. There was no laughter or the whisper of conversations. There was just an eerie silence. Suddenly she felt cold, and the feeling of being watched crept over her. She began to feel vulnerable standing alone in the dark with just a candle outside the comfort of her cosy cottage. Eleanor swallowed, her former bravado taking a quick exit. She considered running inside to hide and wait for Sabin's return while the forest burned. She knew she could not just wait, trembling under the covers. She had to have the strength to face whatever was waiting out there. She took a step off the porch, venturing into the dark, and quickly realised that she was not completely sure of the way to get to Eigenbrook's home. She had to trust her instinct. She had no choice. As she walked, she cursed Sabin. Of all the nights to go missing, and when I need you most, she held the candle in front of her. She had to get there in the shortest amount of time. The candle would not last that long. She began to quicken her pace, a sense of urgency propelling her. She glanced at the houses as she passed them. They all sat lined in a row. No soft candlelight glowed from within. They were like sitting silent beacons, refusing to give any clue about the people who lived within them. Would everyone be sleeping? Eleanor asked herself. She was not even sure of the time. A slight smell of smoke began to fill the air. It must be the fire. It was tearing through the wolf woods, engulfing whatever was in its path. She had to hurry. She was almost running, her desire to get to the elder's home pushing her. She increased her pace even more, breaking into a jog. A tree root snaked across the lane, its need for water and nutrients sending out a ne network of fibrous tentacles. Eleanor felt the toe of her foot catch under the root. Tipping her forward, she desperately tried to right herself, her arms flailing, but she had been caught off balance. She fell hard on the ground, her hands floundering, unable to break the prevent of her fall. She let out a cry as she landed, both in pain and in fright. She lay for a moment, carefully moving her arms. Nothing was broken, which was a relief. She sat up gingerly, brushing the dirt from her body. Her candle had been snuffed out when she fell, and now she sat in complete darkness. Taking a breath, she reached out, trying to find the candle, but to no avail. It must have been thrown when she she waited until her eyes became adjusted to the dark before standing. Carefully, Eleanor started to walk. Her former jog was now reduced to a shuffle, and she made her way in the dark. It was not long before she could hear the sound of horses' hooves. Relief swept over her. Finally, someone was out, and they could help her get to Eichen Brooks. Eleanor went to one side of the road as she peered into the dark to see who was coming down the street. The horseman held up a lantern as he drew alongside. Eleanor? The man sounded familiar, but Eleanor was not sure who he was. Yes, I'm Eleanor. I'm going to Eichenbrooks to tell him about the fire. She stared past the man to check to see, checking to see if it all hadn't been a bad dream. He turned in his saddle, looking in the same direction she did. Yes, we have to get everybody to the marketplace. It's not safe to be out here alone. He looked back at Eleanor, frowning. Suddenly, Eleanor remembered who the man was. He was one of Merrick's former men from the Protectors, but she couldn't quite remember his name. I... she started to say before more sounds of hooves 
could be heard galloping towards them. Must be the rest of them, the man said to Eleanor. We have to wake the town up and get everybody prepared. If they can burn a forest, they can burn a town. The last bit of what he said sent a shiver down her spine. Best you go back home, missus. Pack some supplies and meet in the town marketplace. I think Eigenbrook should be there soon. He reached his hand out to her. Come on, I'll give you a ride home. There isn't much time, he urged her. Eleanor took his hand and he lifted her up behind him. She grabbed the back of the saddle, feeling both clumsy and embarrassed. He kicked his horse into a trot while Eleanor bobbed up and down. If the situation hadn't been so serious, she would have been laughing at the thought of herself bouncing around on the back of a horse. The rest of men had caught up to them by the time they were halfway back to Eleanor's house. Fire is bad, Tallet. You can hear the trees screaming. Eleanor sucked in her breath as she heard the men. Go wake Eigenbrook. We don't have much time. Who was patrolling the boundaries? He asked. Flamer's men have taken watch, the other man replied, before he wheeled his horse round to face the rest of the men. Go wake the people. I'll meet you at the marketplace with Eigenbrook. The group of men set out in different directions at a gallop. The air had become heavier with the arid smell of smoke. Eleanor fumbled with the bridle. She was shaking so much, and regardless of how many deep breaths she took, she could not control the quivering. Finally, she was able to fasten the buckle. She threw the saddle over the mare's back and hastily tightened the girth. The mare snorted, throwing her head and stamping her feet. She was eager to be off. Eleanor climbed onto the mare's back. She had filled the saddlebags with food and carried two water skins. She was as prepared as she ever would be on such short notice. Her mare pranced and pawed the ground, feeling the trepidation of her mistress. Eleanor let her mare have her head, and she set off at a fast canter. The marketplace was alive with people. Tension hung in the air, mixing with the smoke that had continued to blow towards the village. As the townsfolk had become aware of the great fire and the threat to their homes, a delicate balance between panic and the need to stay in control teetered on the edge. Eleanor reined in her horse as she surveyed the scene before her. It was interesting to find out how big the village really was and how many people called it their home. To know that they now stood at the brink of losing it all was a sobering thought. She squashed it as soon as the thought came to mind. She had to stay in control and take each moment as it came. To do otherwise, she would crumple, crumble in a heap. As she scanned the, the faces, she noticed someone familiar. She leaned in closer, not daring to move her mare closer to the mayhem before her. She was perched on the edge of the slope that made its way down to the market square, it offered a panoramic view, and Eleanor preferred to stay on the outskirts. If needed, she could flee and take the nearest exit out of the town. The lanterns that were hung cast gloomy shadows, and she wasn't sure if, she w if what she had seen was real, but she was sure she could see Sabin. She had actually forgotten about him when she had met Tallard. So intent was her focus on getting packed and making it to the market. She had no desire to move closer. She had to wait until the man moved into the patch of light before she could be certain it was Sabin. She waited. He seemed to be in a deep conversation with a small woman and she had a lot of children around her. Another man stood off to one side and Eleanor wasn't certain if he was with them or not. 
The small woman had her hair tied in a bun and a little girl was perched on her hip. Eleanor sucked in her breath. It was Edith. She had met her previously that day. How could Sabin be with her? Questions raced through her mind, begging to be answered, but she swept them away. First, she had to be sure it was Sabin. She waited for a light to be swung in that direction. Finally, a couple came to talk with the small woman. The man held up a lantern, and sure enough, Sabin was standing on the other side of her, a small boy holding his hand. Eleanor cursed softly. It was him. Suddenly, she felt alone. She had no husband, no family, and no friends. She was by herself. She knew she was being unreasonable, but she felt a wave of jealousy as she watched Sabin and Edith. They seemed like a couple themselves. How on earth did Sabin get to meet Edith? The question tugged at Eleanor, and she knew the only way to answer it was to go and see them, and she knew she would not be doing that. A hush descended on the crowd, as movement towards the rear could be seen. People drew apart, making way, and Eleanor knew it had to be Eigenbrook. He had finally come. So, I hope you enjoyed listening to the chapter of my book. Thank you all for listening. I know your time is valuable, and I really appreciate it. Let me know what you thought of today's podcast, and how it can be improved. Please feel free to follow me on Instagram. Jules underscore rights. That's J U L S underscore rights. And DM me or email me at the story podcast, that's all one word, at outlook.com. I would love to hear from you, especially if you have a great story to share. I hope you have a fantastic week and see you all next week for another chapter from Rise of Us Saw the Beginning. Don't forget to grab yourself a copy from Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Bye for now and see you next time on the story the podcast where great stories are shared.